0: God, we pray that, that we would see how great you are, and indeed that everyone would see how great you are. I pray that you would use your word this morning to shape us, that you would use it so that we'd get a bigger picture of, of who you are and, and a better idea of what it means for us to live as your people uh, in, in this world that we live in every day. So fill us with your spirit this morning so that we can understand your word. Fill us with your spirit so that our hearts can be moved to uh, worship you and to praise you for all that you are and for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. Um, My high school had this tradition of uh, printing what they called senior wills uh, in the yearbook. I don't know if you do this around here. I don't know if anyone else does this but our high school. But uh, basically what it was was that each year, uh, every senior would write down the things that they wanted to pass on uh, to the lower classmen. So they were bequeathing all of these things uh, to uh, the people who were left in school. And of course, this came for the most part just an attempt for kind of late adolescents to sound clever and to make jokes and put inside jokes in and that kind of thing in print. Uh, and occasionally you'd get some poor sap who was you know, laying out their heart with all these grandiose ideas, things they wanted to pass on to other people. But most of us were just going for laughs. And I actually contemplated reading a few of these uh, to you, but then when I got out my yearbook, I decided that I was going to spare you uh, some of that. But suffice it to say that these were actual things that were in there, things like, uh, I'm willing you the ability to get out of trouble, or I'm willing you the uh, better parking space at school, or I'm willing you an endless supply of bubble gum, or, or a car that won't run into a tree, or... Right, one person actually willed another person a goat snout. Uh, this was actually in print in our yearbook. So th- but these are the kind of things that, that high schoolers think of when they think, well, I want to be funny. I want to be clever here. What do I want to pass on to the people who are uh, behind me? And, and it's really just a big joke, right? But, but it got me thinking here. What would I want to pass on to other people if, if I really took this seriously? If I took this task seriously and, and was going to write this down today, what would I come up with? What would I really want for the people that I care about. And and of course, I I think about my kids. What do I want for my kids? And there's a whole bunch of things that that I would love for my kids to be able to experience, that I would love for them to be able to have. I I want them to enjoy being outside, to like hiking and camping and all these kind of things. I, I want them to be able to get to travel and experience different cultures. I want them to love reading and books. I, I want them to be able to enjoy sports and athletics. I, I want them to know what a real mountain looks like. So all these things that, that I kind of want for my kids. And if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, you probably haven't written these things down, but in your head, there are these things that you want for your kids. My wife was reading a, a parenting book a few years ago, and, and this, uh, this guy writing the, the book actually put down what he considered one of the main goals of Christian parenting specifically is having your kids marry a spouse that you like. And he was serious, like this was an actual goal that he had as, as a parent. And he thought this was somehow related to the gospel. It kind of discounted the rest of the book for me. But, but we have all of these ideas, all these things that we want, all these things we want to pass on, but, but what are the most important things? What do we really need? When we come to a, a passage of the Bible today where we get a great answer to that question, When we strip away all of the the peripheral stuff and focus in on what is most important, what does that really look like? What defines what is most important, what we really need? So this text is a letter written by an early church leader named Paul. And what we're seeing today is is what he wants for the people that he really deeply cares about. So let's uh, turn to this passage together if you haven't already. It's Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. It's a prayer kind of in the middle of the book here. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, this is found in on page 1817. Go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you want to take the Bible home with you, that's fine too. We'll, we'll get more. Uh, but Ephesians 314 is found in on page 1817. So go ahead and turn there. Uh, now this text that we're looking at is, is right in the middle of the book. This book of Ephesians has two halves, basically, the first half, the first three chapters are all about the gospel, all about what God has done, what that means for us, who we are in Jesus. And then the second half is applying the gospel to how we live our lives. So there's the, there's the be part about who we are in Jesus, and then there's the do part. This is how you're to live in light of the gospel. And and this prayer is is wrapping up that whole first section. We've heard all this about what Jesus has done for us, all this this amazing stuff about the gospel. And then this prayer caps off the first half of that. So let's look at this text. We're going to look at what Paul really wants for followers of Jesus. And and as we look at this prayer, we're going to see that it breaks into two parts. First, we're seeing a prayer for strength, and then a praise to the God who gives strength. So let's start with the beginning section here, uh, the prayer for strength. Verse 14 and 15. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now this is actually pointing back to the previous sections, right? For this reason means he's pointing backward, pointing back to all the stuff that he said about the gospel. But but notice here as he starts this prayer, he's highlighting that the supremacy of God. A big focus of the letter so far has been on the fact that, that people have been brought together in Jesus. So we saw that outsiders are made to be part of God's family. They're made to belong. People from God's people and from not God's people are together formed into this new people in Jesus. And we saw last week this this mystery of the gospel. And the mystery is that in Jesus, everyone is invited to be part of God's family. And in case we haven't understood yet that, that there's this centrality of God in all this, that God is for everyone, he reiterates it here. God is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is, again, emphasizing the supremacy of God, the centrality of him for every single human person. He's the source of every single human and every single people group on earth. And this is a timely reminder for the church that, that racism can have no place among God's people, can have no place in the church. Every single people group finds its source in God himself. Every single person, every race, every ethnicity, every skin tone is made in the image of God, created by him. And it also reminds us that meaningful unity, powerful unity happens when we come back to the source of who we are. Unity happens in God himself. We are from him, and when we come back to him, that's where we find true and lasting unity. So all that's just a preamble to this, but Paul is addressing this this father, the the father from whom every family on earth derives its name. Now what is he asking our father uh, to do for us? Look at verses 16 through 19. This is the heart of the prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that are all building on the same thing. And it starts with this idea that that Paul is praying that God would strengthen these believers. That's where the request begins, and it's further developed through this whole series of different clauses. But it starts with this request that God strengthen them with power through his spirit in their inner beings. It's verse 16. Now notice that what he's praying for us is not something that we can get on our own. This is not inner strength inside of us that's innate to us. And we tend to think of, of inner strength as discovering innate strength within us, but, but this is strength that's dependent upon the gift of God for us. And further emphasizing the same point, it's about Jesus being in our hearts through faith, he says in verse 17. Now Ephesians has a ton of stuff on us being in Christ. We need to be in him, and all of our blessings are in him. But here that's reversed, so it's Jesus in us. And this is tied to the preceding, being strengthened by God's spirit and having Jesus in our hearts are intrinsically related concepts. But what it amounts to is that God is personally inside of us through the power of his spirit, through Jesus being in our hearts. That's a huge concept. This teaches us that the true strength, the strength that we need, is not intrinsic. It's, It's not within us. But this isn't how we typically talk about strong people. Next time you're reading a story or, or watching something, I want you to take note of, of how strength tends to be talked about. Usually when we look at heroes or strong people, we're talking about how there's an inner strength inside of them, it's almost always from within. So this is from animated movies all through musicals. So my my daughter's favorite animated musical, Moana, or animated movie, Moana, is all about this girl, the main character, finding something inside of her, this power inside of her. It's true from an animated film, it's true for my wife's favorite musical, Hamilton, as well. He has this inner drive, this inner passion, and it pushes him forward. This is how we talk about strong people. This is how we talk about heroes. It's about them finding something inside of themselves and living in light of that inner power. That's fine. It makes for a good story. But sooner or later, we're all going to discover that that any strength within us is limited. Sooner or later, we're gonna come to the end of that power. We're gonna find that it's not enough. We need more. And so that's what Paul is praying for this church. Not that they would just find some inner strength within themselves but that God would strengthen them by his own spirit, Jesus living inside of them. And it's from then the divine power at work in us through the spirit that we're able to be strengthened with the strength that we really need. So there's this huge concept of strength at the beginning of this request, but it goes from strength then to love. And and so Paul then prays that Christians be rooted and established in love. Now this is drawing together both organic and architectural images. We know about things being rooted, right? That's the organic metaphor here. Like a tree needs solid roots, Christians need to be rooted in the right thing, which is love. And like a building needs to be established, it needs to have a foundation that is secure, so Christians need to be established, have a foundation of love. But love isn't some vague notion of being kind to others or having affection for others. Love is specifically defined in Jesus, so the prayer is that we would have power to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high is the love of Jesus, to know this love that he says is surpassing knowledge. And that's a big deal because he's basically asking for the impossible, that we would know something he defines as beyond knowledge. And when we think about this, that the love that, that Jesus shows is truly incomprehensible to our, our finite minds. I mean, look at the expression of the love of Christ, this love that is shown so powerfully on the cross. When Jesus died on this this Roman cross, one of the most brutal and dehumanizing forms of execution ever invented, and yet Jesus willingly died on a cross. And he died on a cross for people that were mocking him. When we think about that that moment when he's suffering and anguish on, on this cross, it's not like everyone is around crying and mourning for him. There are a couple people who were sad, but most people were throwing insults at him and mocking him. He saved others, but he can't even save himself. And yet, in that moment of excruciating pain, Jesus asks his Father to forgive these people. See, when we think about that kind of love, it just blows our mind. This is incomprehensible love, that he would die not just for good people, but that he would die for people who are mocking him, And throwing abuse his way. Paul in another letter in Romans 5 says that that valiant humans will occasionally give their life for another person. We have these stories of heroism, but it's almost always someone that they care about in some way. But how many of us would, would lay down our life, sacrifice for someone who's our enemy, someone who hates us? Well, that's what Jesus did. This is an incomprehensible love. This is love beyond our knowing. So, Paul prays that that God would empower them through his Spirit to actually know this huge love of Jesus for us. So, from this prayer for strength, the prayer for love, now Paul concludes by requesting that, that God fill his church with his own fullness. Look at the phrase there it's that we would be filled to all the measure, the measure of all the fullness of God. That is a huge, huge phrase. It's a prayer that God will work so powerfully in these imperfect followers of Jesus, people like you and me, that they would be filled to the full measure of God himself. Tied to the prayer earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, we see that this is about us becoming complete people, becoming perfect people. I mean, that is incredibly difficult to imagine. Because we know that we are very imperfect people, and yet the prayer is that we would be filled to the fullness of God, that we would come to completion, we would come to perfection. So we look at these requests that Paul is making, that that we would have strength, supernatural strength, that we would have this knowledge of God's incomprehensible love in Jesus, that we would be full to the fullness of God. These are huge prayers. We need to know that these requests are are something that only God can do. We can't manufacture these things for ourselves. To get supernatural strength within us, that's not a capability that we have. To know the unknowable love of Jesus is something that we don't have the capacity to manufacture in ourselves, to be filled to the fullness of God. We can't do this for ourselves. All of this is, is beyond us. And that's why it's a prayer in the first place. Paul is asking God to do what only God can do here. We need God to act with supernatural power if we're ever to be strengthened in the way that Paul is talking about here. But in addition to pointing us to our great need for God, this is also teaching us what we really need. It's very easy for us to start focusing on peripheral needs and peripheral wants. But what do we really need? Think about the core of what Paul is talking about here. What's the core of these requests? They're all focused on God. It's being filled by him. It's it's knowing his love. It's having his his strength, his power. They're all focused on God. That's what we really need. But it's so easy for us to get stuck thinking of peripheral and secondary kind of things. It's hard for us to know what we really need. I heard a story of a a woman who, who, who always took her own value from how other people looked at her. And in particular, it was how men viewed her. This is actually a fairly common thing in our culture. And so she got involved with this man, and they started uh, having a a pretty serious relationship. They started uh, talking marriage. And this was great. This was great for her sense of value, for her sense of meaning, for her sense of purpose, because here was a man who who took her to be beautiful, who took her to be valuable. And because she was valuable in his sight, she felt valuable in her own sight as well. But then this guy left her. And what does that do for her? What does that do for her sense of her own worth and her own meaning and her own purpose? Devastated. Because this guy, who she had put so much, uh, so much of her value on, has now told her implicitly by his actions, you're not that valuable. So it's just devastating to her. So it threw into her spiral. She started uh, seeing a counselor to try to work through these things. And the counselor was able to show her, you know, that's not what you need. You are, are allowing someone else to determine the, the value that you have. That, that Another person can never do that. But then the counselor recommended that she throw herself into her vocation, throw herself into her job to find meaning and purpose and value there. And so she did. She worked hard. She started moving up the ladder, and she, she felt good about herself again. I have a sense of value. I have a sense of purpose. But of course, that can't hold it either. And then when things started to go south at work, again, this devastation. See, she needed something. She needed a sense of meaning. She needed a sense of of strength, of identity. But a man can never provide that for her. A job can never provide that for her. She needs something more. She needs to discover what Paul is talking about here, that there is a God who loves you, That there is a God who who fills you with his own spirit, the fullness of God, that that the love of Christ is for you, that your value, your identity, your meaning, your purpose is found in him alone. You need God. By God's grace, that happened in her life. She started going to a church and she started hearing the gospel. She started hearing about here's true meaning, here's true purpose, here's true value, and it totally transformed her life. But we've got to come back to the stuff that really matters, the stuff that we really need We're reminded to to stop fooling around with stuff that can't meet the deepest longings, the deepest needs that we have inside of ourselves. Don't settle for the peripheral stuff. Come back to what we really need. What we really need is God himself, a meaningful relationship with the God who created us. So that's Paul's prayer uh, for this church in Ephesus. And and out of this prayer for strength then comes a word of praise to the God who gives that kind of strength. And if we think about this prayer that, that Paul has just laid out This is a big prayer. These are lofty goals that he's asking God would give to this church here. And that's not unusual. This is typical of Paul. When he thinks about these churches, these people that he cares about, he prays big prayers for them. The question is, is is it okay to pray that that big of a prayer? I've got a pastor friend who, who often prays for God to send revival. Now, we've been challenging our church family to to live intentionally on mission every day. And we've talked about this idea of one mission, of us living where God has planted us purposely to bring the gospel to our community. We've talked about our ones. There's one person that God has put on on our hearts that we love and we care about and how we're intentionally trying to pray for these people. We're trying to build a relationship with them. We're trying to point them to Jesus, not because there's some project, but because we deeply care about and love them and and our desires that our one would come to find life in Jesus And we think about that for our church family. We'd love to see this person, that person, that person come to find life in Christ. But this pastor is praying, well, not just one here, not just one there, but what if a whole wave of people came to turn to Jesus and find life in him? And he prays for this, and I've seen him pray with with emotion. There's almost always tears falling down his cheeks as he's praying that God would act in this supernatural, powerful way to bring more and more people to him. He's heard the stories of what God has done in other times and in other places and he wants that right where he is. But that's a big prayer. That's a lofty prayer. Is that legitimate to pray for that? Is it, is it okay to make a big request of God like that? Look at the next verse, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more then all we ask or imagine according to his work that is, at win, that is at work within us, to him be glory. Now if anything, our big requests are too small. The God that we are praying to, do, to is able to immeasurably, beyond what we're asking, immeasurably beyond what we even think or imagine, not just a prayer for revival, not just a prayer for these huge things that he's asking for this church in Ephesus, he's able to do immeasurably beyond that immeasurably beyond the biggest request that we have, immeasurably beyond the biggest thought that we could have, the biggest imagination that we could have of what God can do. See, we've got this, this concept of what can happen. And we pray prayers in line with what we think God can do or what we think God will do. And very often, it is very narrow in scope. Paul is saying, blow that up. Blow up your whole concept of what God is capable of doing. He can do immeasurably more than all you ask, immeasurably more than you can even think or imagine. See, our thinking is too small, and so we're requesting these tiny little things. A few years ago, my son had a a traumatic Thanksgiving trip to the emergency room. He was uh, sliding across tile floor on this cushion, and he, uh, it stopped, and he went face first into the tile floor, knocked his teeth back. It was a really traumatic thing. He claims that it was my fault for telling him that he could slide a certain way. And I suppose he's right about that, so I can kind of carry that guilt with me. But we ended up taking him to the ER that night. And then the next day, they sent us to the oral surgeon. He had to have his teeth pulled. And so we had this whole traumatic experience of, of uh, sending him into general anesthesia and us having to wait in the waiting room, um, which felt like an hour. It was probably like two minutes, really. But it just felt, it was miserable. Right? So a really traumatic experience for the whole family. So on the way home, we decided that, that we would kind of give him a little treat. So we, we stopped in Target the day after Thanksgiving, the worst time to be at Target. We stopped at Target, and we, we decided we were going to get him a little special treat here. So it was kind of amusing getting him out of the car, and he still has the drugs kind of working in his system a little bit. So he's tipping back and forth, but he doesn't want to hold his, our, our hands because he wants to be independent. So we're kind of trying to shuffle him into the store. And We bring him to the art supplies aisle because he loves to, to color, and we, we tell him anything in the, anything in the aisle. What do you want? A special gift to try to make you feel a little bit better today. And I'm looking at the aisle, and there's some cool stuff in this aisle. They get these big, like 200 packs of markers, these specialty art projects and things like that. And he zeroes in on this little, like, basic 16 pack of basic markers that we already have at home. And that's what he wants. And he grabs it off the shelf. And I'm kind of looking at my wife and thinking, okay, it's like a $2.50 special gift. That's fine. And it's great, even. But but inside, I'm thinking, this was your big opportunity. I mean, you have sympathy on your side here. There's a whole aisle full of amazing coloring supplies, amazing art supplies. You could pick any one of those things. This store has $100 Lego sets in it. This store has, has bikes and all sorts of great toys. You could have asked for the moon if you wanted to. And yet he's choosing this, this, pick, this pack of, of regular markers. And I think the drugs had a lot to do with this. He was not really thinking clearly. I'm sure if, if he had a re- redo, he would probably go a little higher. But I think, man, we, how often do we do the same thing with God? We're asking for these tiny little things. God is able to immeasurably beyond all that we ask or imagine. And yet, when we come to God in prayer, so often we're praying like, like he won't even give us the basic needs that we have to be able to put food on the table or a roof over our head or that we'd be able to be clothed. Our, our requests are so small. They show what a small little picture of God we have. And Paul's saying, blow that up. He's able to do it measurably beyond your imagination of what is even possible. And of course, we know that God does not always do what we ask him to do. And, and sometimes be, this is because we're asking for wrong things. Sometimes it's because we're asking with wrong motives. But sometimes we're asking for good things, things that are in line with God's will. And somehow in the province of God, he chooses not to give us those things. But we are invited here to ask and to ask boldly, to ask for big things, because our God is is beyond us, so far beyond us. And God tells us this, Isaiah chapter 55. God is reminding his people that, that he is different from them. He is so far above them. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's thinking is so much beyond our thinking. His action is so far beyond our action and it's effective. His word goes out and it accomplishes exactly what he set it out To do. God has power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. His power is beyond our ability to understand. And don't miss the second half of that verse. I hadn't caught this other times I've read this, but it's an amazing statement. So again, verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, here's the second phrase here according to his power that is at work within us. In other words, this is not theoretical. This is active today. God's power that's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine is at work today in your life and in my life. It is already actively at work in us today. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you trust in Jesus today, that means that God has done a supernatural work in your heart. He has taken you, and Paul said in Ephesians 2, you were dead in sin. And he has made you alive in Christ. That is miraculous. See, our our natural starting point is not to trust in Jesus. Our natural starting point is to rebel against God and to be stuck rebelling against God. If you trust in Jesus, God has put his spirit into your heart and into your mind. He is renewing you so that you can actually believe in Jesus. If you're a Christian, God has already supernaturally been active in your life. And the power that led you to believe in Jesus is a power that is able to do immeasurably beyond all you ask or imagine. So how do we respond to this powerful God? Verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the only fitting response. If we look at at this huge request that Paul is making, And then realize that that God is able to do immeasurably beyond that request. The only thing that we could do then is is fall on our faces and worship God. All glory to him. All praise for all generations now and forever. It's the only fitting response. All glory to him. When everything else is stripped away, here's what it comes down to. What we really need is more of God. God. The theme of this this book of Ephesians is getting at the gospel and getting at community. And this is reminding us, right at the center of the book, that this is what it means to be a community of people who are shaped by the gospel. We realize that our greatest need, central to everything that we need, is God himself. I want you to think about all of the things that you would put on your wish list, the things that you want for yourself or the things that you want for the people that you really care about. And love. Those things are not enough. For most of us, we're focusing on things that are, that are not enough. It's, it's not enough to have a great job. It's not enough to pursue a journey of self-discovery. It's not enough to enjoy sports. It's not enough to get the chance to travel. It's not enough to find your soulmate. What we truly need as humans is a real relationship with the God who created us. What we really need is his power, his love, his filling us. That's what we truly need more than anything else. I want to challenge you this week to take this prayer and make it your prayer. And this is something you can do whether you're a follower of Jesus today or not. I want you to to think about what are the things that I really want in life and, and list them out. Take some time to actually do this. List out, well, what are the things that I really want in life? What are the things that I think I really need? Be honest about it. Don't try to make it look good. but, But what are the things in your heart that you really desire, that you're really drawn to? And then go a little deeper than that. What do I think those things are going to accomplish in my life? If I get a better job, what do I think that is going to do for me? If I find my soulmate, What do I think that is going to accomplish for me? And be honest about it. Really dig into it. Spend some time really looking at, well, is that actually going to accomplish what I hope it's going to accomplish? And then I want you to take that list and and those insights and come back to this prayer that we see at the end, end of Ephesians 3. I want you to compare what you really want to what Paul is praying for the church. You'll see some similarities there, I hope. You'll see some things that that what you hope happens in your life, this is actually how that happens, but it accomplishes the same thing. And you'll also see some things that don't line up at all. You need to think through, well, well, why do I want these things? What's going on in my heart that I think this is going to provide something for me? And then come back to what Paul is saying. Say, okay, is this really what I need? Is this really what I want? This is what Paul is praying for the church. This is what I believe we really need. But don't take, it for, don't take my word for it. Actually spend some time looking at this. Most of us are gonna stop short of this. Most of us are gonna give up before we, we truly get to the insight that, that God wants for us from this. But I wanna challenge you to make this your prayer this week. Pray through it. Ask God to, to do what Paul is asking God to do in the lives of followers of Jesus. So pray for yourself. Pray this th- through for yourself. But then also think about the people that you really love and care about. Make this your prayer for them as well. Make this your prayer for your son or your daughter. Make this your prayer for your grandkids. Make this your prayer for your one, your prayer for your friend. This is what we truly need when it comes right down to it. But I want you to see that this really is getting at the heart of who we are created to be and what we truly need. Let's do that right now. We're going to take some time and we're going to pray through this together as we respond to God's word. So please join me in prayer. God, having heard the gospel, having heard that you love us so much that you sent your own son to die for us so that we are no longer dead, but are now alive, that we are no longer outsiders, but now belong, having heard that amazing story of your grace in Jesus, we now kneel before you. We bow in prayer, acknowledging that you are our father. You are the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We find our meaning, our name in you. God, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner beings. We pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. God, we pray that we would be rooted in love, that we would be established in love. We pray that you would give us power, together with all of the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. God, we pray that you would help us to know the unknowable, that you would help us to know the love that surpasses knowledge. God, we pray that you would fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you, God, You who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. You who are able to do immeasurably more than all we imagine. Our biggest requests according to your power that is already at work within us. To you be glory here in your church. To you be glory in Jesus and through Jesus through all generations forever and ever for all eternity. May we glorify you and worship you and praise you We pray this in the name of your son through whom we have access to you and through whom we can pray boldly. Amen.